The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
call the Tuesday, September 27th meeting of the Independent Community Police Oversight Commission to order. Ms. Janess, could you do the roll call for us? Sure. This meeting will be broadcast live on CTN Cable Channel 16, ATT Channel 99, online at a2gov.org, YCTN. Public commentary can be made in person or by calling 877-853-5247 or 888-788-0099. Enter meeting ID 935-1520-9819. Commissioner Milgram, absent today. Commissioner Billups. Commissioner Ship. Here. Council Member Ramlawi. Here. Council Member Song. Here. Chair Jackson. Present. Commissioner Carter. Here. Commissioner Harrison. Here. Commissioner Meisler is uh, absent. Commissioner Offman. Present. Vice Chair Tadoro Fred Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. Is there a motion to approve the agenda? Is there a second? Second. All in favor of approving the agenda? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. And then you all have the minutes from the August 22nd meeting that we had at Cobblestone Farm. Are there any corrections, additions, or discussion of those minutes? If not, is there a motion to approve the August 2022 meeting minutes? Motion to approve the minutes of August 22. Is there a second? Mm -hmm. Second. All in favor of approving the August 2022 meeting minutes? Aye. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. So now we've come to the time for public forum. Um, we invite the public to speak to us on any matters of concern they have before the commission. If there's anyone in person who would like to speak, please approach the podium. State your name if you like. Um, my name is Zachary Story. Um, what I wanted to kind of talk about um, Tonight is uh, very personal to me, and while I don't, you know, I just wanted to revisit some remarks that um, Councilmember Ramlawi made a couple meetings ago um, at City, uh, City Council um, in talking about West Park in particular. Um, and I quote his words directly. He said it invites activity that is undesirable. And right now this situation is getting a little seedy. 
and he talked about um, having confiscation with the police chief and um, just APD in general. And this is a perfect reason why I'm thankful that Ramlawi will, no, will no, no longer serve the city at the request of the voters. Um, it's this very commission and I think a news news article, I believe, that, that, that said there was one that's sticking out in my mind, a 12-year-old uh, black boy, um, I might be getting some of these details wrong, but was interrogated by police, kind of coerced into a squad car as a quote-unquote friendly ride home. You know, and I know Mr. Ramlawi Here's these things. Uh, I don't know why you're asking for increased policing of West Park I, I, while serving on the Police Oversight Commission. Uh, it's just mind-boggling to me. But I would like to ask for less policing of West Park. It's a perfect example of what we purport we want Ann Arbor to be, a place that's welcoming for everyone. There's a wide variety of people that use the park. You know, I just took a walk over there today and saw an elderly woman. There was um, a woman with groceries walking through, probably going home. There was a woman with a dog um, in the center track just throwing a ball. Um, there was a guy doing exercises on the ba basketball court. And I've seen political events, birthday parties, graduate student parties. And yes, the Delanus Center is located nearby. Um, and it's, it's a place where people who are homeless and housing insecure can spend a little time in a park or in nature or playing basketball or tennis or whatever. And so the place is over-policed already. We know this, and just from the homeless community and when I was homeless, uh, there's a lot of stories. Um, so please do not increase policing, and I'm probably going over time. Sorry about that, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone on the phone? I do not have anyone presently. Okay. So at this point, it looks as if we do not have old business, but we have lots of new business. Chief among those is electing a new slate of officers for this commission. Although I have, have, have thoroughly enjoyed, really, really enjoyed serving as the chair of this commission through all of its ups and downs, it is certainly time for some new leadership is there anyone who might be willing to serve as the new chair? Oh, we have one volunteer? All right, so Ms. Tadoro Hargreaves has, has volunteered to do so. Do we have anyone who might be willing to serve as vice chair? I have been volunteered. <laughs> <laughs> the term is voluntold. You were voluntold that you were volunteering. But we, you, we saw you raise your hand of your own accord. That is true. And we greatly appreciate that. And so now we should have an election to determine whether um, these folks should be um, uh, 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 elected. Is there anyone else who would care to serve in any of these roles? I see we're going to have a really peaceful transfer of power, aren't we? 
Um, since there, everyone is running unopposed, would you all like to do this vote publicly or should we use paper? We can use paper. I think everybody can write you know, their selection for chair and vice chair on paper if you like. Should we, should we use paper? We've done it that way, and we've done it voice vote. It doesn't. I think. I think since since the, the there is no other candidates to these positions, and and there is no one who is opposed. What we can do is we can have a motion, and approve both the president and vice president. If there's nays, they will show. I think probably might be just as transparent as Possible. anything else, just to have it in public. Certainly. Paper. That would certainly improve transparency. Although, had we had two people running, I believe we did it on paper last time. So, Correct. is there a motion then to nominate Francis Tudor Hargreaves as the new chair of ICPOC as well as Stephanie Carter, the new vice chair? I make a motion to. Is there a second? I second. Thank you. All in favor of these uh, officers? Aye. Aye. Is there anyone opposed? All right. We have a new chair and a new vice chair, and I am very excited about this. Um, <laughs> we have been planning for such a transition for some time, and now it is finally here. So, uh, Ms. Chair, you should take over from oh here. Uh, May, I'm sorry. Um, I think what we can do is, just for the continuity, is if uh, uh, the current chair uh, just keeps running this. Serve uh, out today. One and, and, okay, uh, I apologize from, if I seem from, too eager yeah, from, to abdicate from, my yeah, position. I apologize. I'm happy to serve out these next hour and 45 minutes. Sure. <laughs> That's 45, an hour and 45, or, or less perhaps. All right, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, and we look forward to you all taking over and doing things in your way. One of the things, um, so the next thing on the agenda is to discuss the survey by public sector consulting. And so for a tiny bit of background, um, the resolution that um, was passed by council in April of 2021 indicated that there should be an exploration of an unarmed response program in the city of Ann Arbor and that that exploration should be conducted in concert with and in cooperation with and in consultation with, is the quote, um, the Independent Community Police Oversight Commission. Um, that, that worked to varying degrees and a report was produced um, and after a report was produced that decided to continue to explore unarmed response that happened, that report was produced in December of 2021. Um, council devoted, decided to devote some of the um, federal ARPA money to an unarmed response program. One of the things that this commission insisted upon was that the people who live, work, and visit in Ann Arbor be consulted about what kind of unarmed response program would be most appropriate, and that some actual conversations take place. We demanded several things of, um, and asked that uh, very specifically of um, deputy or assistant, I'm sorry, which way it goes, um, 
City Administrator John Fournier that, for example, people who are unhoused be consulted that college students be consulted, that anyone who was most proximate to potentially needing an unarmed response be consulted. And what we wanted was some real consultation. Lots of people in Ann Arbor feel as if they have been consulted and then their ideas are sort of discarded and that is just a performative kind of process. And so we asked for an in-depth process where people would go into the community and meet with community members and um, talk to them about unarmed response and bring that information back. At some point, the city acknowledged that they could not do that. So they put out an RFP, um, a request for proposals from groups that might be able to perform such a service. There were several finalists. This is information that is publicly available on um, Legistar. One of the groups was a local group that consisted of um, several community members um, with research expertise, with survey expertise, and some with deep ties to impacted communities. Um, their proposal was quite substantive, and is my understanding that it scored high, the highest, but they were not selected. Public sector consulting, a firm out of Lansing, was selected. That contract was um, for $99,918, I believe. It was very close to $100,000. And so public sector consulting has been conducting some interviews during this time period as part of what was at one point a three-stage process for gathering information from people who live and work in Ann Arbor about unarmed response. I was, um, I had an appointment with their group. Um, I think Katie Van Dorn and Roderick, whose last name I don't remember, I apologize, on September 7th. And um, we had an interesting conversation, but I spent a lot of the time sort of interviewing them about their process. And I asked, for example, how they planned to interview people who were unhoused. And they indicated to me that they had no intention of doing so directly. I asked then how they expected to get that kind of input, and they did not appear to have a plan at that time. They indicated to me that they would have an online survey, at which point I indicated that that would not be very accessible for people who are unhoused. Um, they also indicated they'd be having some in-person town halls. And I asked where and when those would be and why they thought homeless people or people who were unhoused would show up to those, and they, they did not really have an answer to that. Um, I also asked how they would access other kinds of groups, such as African Americans, um, and they you know, indicated that they did not necessarily have access to African Americans in Ann Arbor and have subsequently asked me for names of people who might give them access to such groups. What is troubling about this is that um, your new chair did some math, and, and I believe, please correct me if I am incorrect, that if that $100,000 were allocated among people who got paid $155 an hour, 
150. 150. They would have how much time to do this? In three months, it would be about 55 hours a week. 55 hours a week. And it does not appear that public sector consulting is spending 55 hours a week. I don't know how they spend that time. However, they do not intend to spend that time in this community. They do not have ties to this community, nor do they appear to have ties to people with ties to this community. And so it is very troubling then that what they come up with right now is an online survey, which any one of us could have done for free in about three hours. The questions in the survey are, are not very in-depth. There are a couple of open-ended questions, a ranking question, and several, uh, you know, kind of do not want, unsure, acceptable, prefer, and some strongly agree, uh, agree, disagree, strongly disagree questions. So the survey itself is kind of disappointing. And yet what they consistently ask is that we then distribute this survey among our communities. One of the common things that happens is that um, participants who share their time and expertise, their experiences, for example, with being unhoused, their experiences with police, often get paid, at least in gift cards. And there does not seem to be a plan to do that. And so I am very worried about how this $100,000 is being spent because it does not take very much money to develop an online survey like this. Um, so I was very troubled by my interactions with them and I, I did my due diligence and asked quite a few questions. I joked that I interviewed them more than they interviewed me. Um, we were told very early on that multiple members from this commission would be interviewed. And so I would like to know if there are any other commissioners who were interviewed. Chair. So the three, the three of us. Okay. And I was interviewed in my role with the nonprofit, not necessarily. Right. So you were interviewed as your role at Peace Neighborhood Center. Exactly. Um, and and what happened with probably more than just me was we were saying, have you talked to Bonnie Billups even? Have you even talked to X Y Z person? Um, and apparently, um, I guess they forgot to interview. Uh, Francis and I kind of reached out and said when is that interview taking place at which point they quickly scheduled an interview and she should take it from here as to what happened in that interview yeah um, so I, I did tell them going they sent me a list of questions and I explained that after the questions I had some questions for them and uh, started off explaining that I was participating in this as the vice chair of the police oversight commission and not in my role as as a nonprofit leader and they understood that and we proceeded with the conversation um there were a lot of questions i didn't agree with in the sense that i felt like they were asking me for answers that i thought we were going to obtain from their research um, things like what do you think the best type of program for the community is and I said well I can't answer that question until you collect the information from the community about what they need I and you know they told me they said well a lot of people are telling us exactly what they want to see 
And I said, well, I don't know what their interest in it is. I said, but there's a lot of things going on in the community. And I can tell you from a, my experience, but that's not the whole experience. There's others in this community and you need to be speaking with them also. And I used an example of how um, I'm a member of St. Mary's Student Parish and we are part of the rotating shelter in the winter time. So every January, the overnight men's shelter is at the church and I volunteer to make dinners and so on. And I was explaining to them interactions that we have and, and at times police need to be called, but are they really who should be called and so on and so forth. And their immediate response to me wasn't about my example or my experiences. It was about, oh, you, you're part of, we need to talk to the homeless people. Um, when you're having the shelter at St. Mary's, can you arrange for us to meet with people and set all that up for us? And I said, well, no, because it will be outside your time frame when that happens. But um, it, I just found it interesting that um, they were, were really looking for us as a community in addition to the work that we do here on the Oversight Commission um, to give additional help for them to um, facilitate what we asked for. You know, we were, we were the ones that asked for somebody to go collect this information for us. So I found it a bit ironic that they were then asking me to set up the meeting for them. Um, there are also some other questions that I had concerns about. Um, I felt like they were missing the, the intent of this program. Um, for me, from the very beginning of all of this, the intent has always been to get people in need the services they need and services by the right people. Our police officers, our law enforcement officers, they are not social workers. So the key to this is to get social workers in a position to be able to provide the services needed by the community and for the community. I felt like they were asking me questions that were more about getting rid of the police officers. And to me, that's not the point, and that's not the proper focus. And I was very concerned about that. Um, I, was, I was also more concerned when they started asking me what values I felt should be put on the program. Um, I said, well, we'll start with treating people like human beings with dignity and integrity, and then you can just go from there. I, I just, and I explained to them, I, I was fascinated by that question, um, and it's kind of um, heartbreaking that it had to be asked. But I think that, um, I'm not sure if we're gonna get the report that we were hoping to get. Um, I'm not sure if it's gonna give us the information we were looking for um, but hopefully we're able to accomplish something. The one positive thing that did come out of the meeting was apparently I was the first person to um, educate them on the fact that Ann Arbor did actually used to have a uh, crisis response team that was out of the county um, and they would walk around. I, my personal experience with them was downtown they would be downtown with their credentials and their backpacks and 
we were able to call them for assistance when it was needed. Um, apparently, the uh, the team, the consultant team, didn't. They had no knowledge of that whatsoever. So um, we did have a good conversation about that and why it doesn't exist anymore and so on. So hopefully they'll be able to uh, connect with people in regard to that and find out what that used to be and why we don't have it anymore. But, um, it, you know, again, I don't know that this is going to be initially, you know, what we thought it would be, but hopefully they're able to get some solid information out of it. Um, the survey did go out today to uh, community nonprofits and community leaders and community groups. Um, so it definitely reached a wider range of people as of today um, than it had last week. So that was good too. And I don't know when we're, I'm guessing we're not going to get the results of that until we get the full report. Um, but. Um, I, I quizzed them on their timeline. Yeah. And they said that they expected that it would be analyzed in January and that there would be a report in February. Oh, wow. She wouldn't give me that information, actually. I asked that same question and she didn't have that information. <laughs> you must have asked nicer than me. <laughs> <laughs> or not. I don't know. I might have been more, more scary than you. I don't know. <laughs> Um, I think one of the things that's just distressing about the process is that what we asked of the city was for them to go out and talk to people, to talk to college students, and there's no indication to me that anybody is querying college students. So if college students use drugs or alcohol and have an overdose and are reluctant to call 911 because they don't want to get in legal trouble and they don't utilize these services now, they would be a prime candidate for using an unarmed response program because they know there's no law enforcement or no legal, criminal legal process attached to that. And yet, I, I do not see that college students are being um, contacted, interviewed, or their input is being taken in any considerable measure. There are drug harm reductionists in this community who work with people uh, who go out in this community and work with people who are substance using people who do not call, will not call law enforcement because of the criminal legal consequences and yet need assistance. And those people are not being contacted at all. Council Member Song. Um, I appreciate, I appreciate this. Um, being shared and I, I hear the concerns. So I had reached out to city, um, uh, gosh, to, to city staff and asked some follow-up questions on this. And to my understanding that is that the consultant is very early in the process and that um, there's a, a list and plan to engage folks, including Washington Housing Alliance and exec, other executive directors I'm sorry, I have an eight-month-old puppy behind here. I'm going to pick him up. Um, so, um, and this includes folks who are struggling with substance abuse and homelessness. How that's going to happen, I need more details on, but I will share that early on in, in, um, in our talks with the city staff, um, the plan was that our request with um, Commissioner um, Jackson um, was that we'd be in community, in community spaces and have this, so it's not online, and I will make sure that that happens. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for throwing your weight behind that. It's super important that we meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. 
Otherwise, we could just have a bunch of Zoom meetings and online surveys and do what we always do and get responses from people who always respond. But those are not the people most proximate to harm. They're not the people most likely to use an unarmed response. And so it's ludicrous to spend $100,000 on that. I think one of the things they did explain to me is that they talked about having these um, group discussions with specific groups that would be limited to 12 people. And that was something that was not in their original proposal, but got added as they were having these preliminary conversations with people. So I do um, think that they didn't have a lot of feedback for me on how those are going to work just yet, because I guess like um, Councilmember Song is saying, it's early on. I think that's something I would like regular updates on, because when you have something that's only has space for 12 people to register for, you really want to make sure you get 12 people, um, the right 12 people to be there and, and to be able to speak and, and understand that they can speak openly also. Um, so I think that those are, those are um, very important discussion groups that we need to uh, keep an eye on and make sure happen. Yeah, there have been a little short on details about how these things are going to happen. And I think that though the meetings with the 12 people are intended to be leaders, for example, of the Washington Housing Alliance or this person or that person who interact with those communities, but they're not necessarily, they're, they're representatives of communities. Right. The one, the example they spoke to me about was the downtown businesses. So the downtown businesses would be a group. And I'm guessing when she was asking for assistance with the homeless maybe they'll do one and they're trying to find I, i'm not sure why they're not working with the delanis center but um and they now have st andrew's name also because i gave them they, they were missing a few downtown churches but st andrew's has breakfast and so that's a good place if they were wanted to do outreach. Right. We were really worried that yeah. they didn't know St. Andrews existed, that they're doing breakfast every single morning, yeah. and yet they didn't know that was the case, and they didn't think to talk to anyone from there. And so um, one of the, the, the worries that I had before this process started was this process that they're using, which is called snowballing. So you interview a person, and you ask them who else you should interview, and then they give you some names, and then they give you some names. However, what tends to happen, and we know this from the research, anybody who does survey research, is that when you do snowballing, you tend to get very similar kinds of people. You don't get a diverse group of people. People tend to know people like them, and so you get the snowball effect of many people who are the same. And what we explicitly ask for is that communities who don't usually participate in this process be included this time. Mm -hmm. And I, I cannot stress the degree to which we were very clear about that. And so when the city said they could not accomplish that and that they would hire a firm who could, it is very disappointing to find out that a firm has been hired with no ties to this community, who has not developed ties to this community, who is not employing anyone from this community. And so if you realize that you don't have the reach to, 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 to do outreach with people who are impacted in this community, then you need to contract or subcontract with somebody who can. Because we should not be expecting people to do this work for free while you are sitting on $100,000. And, 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 and on this commission, we have had to fight for as little as $5,000. And our budget is not $100,000. So 
that seems to me to be an enormity of money to develop what right now is just an online survey, a host a few town halls at a hotel conference room somewhere and invite people who are going to show up there instead of going out and talking to people. I have sat in Wheeler Park and waited for folks to wake up who were sleeping there to talk to them. I have been to West Park and talked to people who are unhoused. And if I can do that, then somebody from Lansing can darn well drive down here and do that. And I'm doing this for free. And I am unhappy. I'm sure that's clear. <laughs> Any other comments, please? So has, has the displeasure of this commission been communicated to council? I mean, it, it just started. It, 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 can anything at this point be done to help them with what they need to do? Um, yes, I did communicate my um, significant concerns um, in a conversation with Councilmember Song some time ago, um, and this has in part been the reason why she has been reaching out about this. But I think what we want are more than just assurances that they're going to do better. I think we want to see a specific plan about who, when, where, what is being interviewed, how that process is going to work. Because the resolution said that this should happen in concert, in consultation with this commission. And I do not know any more about this than what I gleaned from my interview from you know, others who have been interviewed who have reported back. But I can tell already that there are significant people in this community who have not been interviewed. So, and so I, yeah, you go. So, you know, I just, um, I think we understand the concern and if it's the commission's desire to to do something about it perhaps we need some kind of a motion to send a communication from the commission to council expressing our concerns about what's going on I don't know how anybody else feels about it, but if, if, if it's not what they're supposed to do and they're not doing it, it's time now to tell somebody. What I would suggest that uh, next time the uh, new chair would address the council in, in its uh, uh, next meeting, uh, this to be the main thing to be uh, presented to the council. Mm -hmm. That would be the easiest and the straightforward thing about the concerns of, the, of this commission about this process. I, I think that that's good, but I think that a formal letter or something from the commission to council, and then when the chair meets with them, that would be in follow-up to a formal communication. How about a both and? Yeah. Right. I mean, the monthly, up, the monthly update. Correct. Right? Okay. Correct. October 6th, 3rd, something. It's coming up. Yeah. Chair Jackson, can I ask, do we know, is there a point person within the city who is to be working specifically with these consultants? Is it the city administrator? Is it who? That maybe that's one of the starting points also with voicing those concerns to that point person along with city council. I think it's appropriate for us to communicate that to city administrator Dahoney. And, 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 and at the beginning of the process, we, uh, we have a standing meeting and we expressed some 
um, concerns ab about the process, not concerns that in the way which it was being conducted before it began. We said, please do not forget that these are the things that are important to us, engaging with people most impacted. There are these groups that have to absolutely be consulted before you go on the ground and start talking to people. And we had a list. They gave us a list. It was not you know, a complete list, but a list of people with whom they'd be consulting. And we said, but you also have to talk to A, B, C, D, and E. This makes sense. Um, and so certainly we can communicate um, our concerns now to City Administrator Dahoney. I think um, I, I had some worries after my conversation with them about the ways in which they could not answer the questions that I asked. But then I began hearing back from other people in the community about similar concerns. And then we began to get more requests for access to communities. So when, when people want to communicate with vulnerable communities, they need to do so in a culturally competent way. You can't send some three-piece suit person from Lansing to go and talk to a bunch of folks hanging out asleep in the park if you're not comfortable doing that. And if they acknowledge that that's something that they cannot do, then they need to find someone who can do that. And I'm happy to, and, and so, I'm sorry. So, so to answer your question, I'm just, I'm becoming more and more aware of the ways in which what we thought was going to happen are not happening. And so the more I hear, the more clear I am that this process has not panned out to be what we thought. And so far, what's happened is nothing that the city couldn't have done on its own for free. And so um, I think sending a, a written communication is effective. I think discussing it on October 3rd or 6th or whatever that date is is appropriate. And I think making sure that um, City Administrator Dahoney is also apprised um, in detail is appropriate as well. So all three suggestions, yes and. So we have a chair and vice chair. We don't have a writing person. <laughs> I mean, how do we, how, I'm just, you know. <laughs> when I, you tell me to write something, I'll just write it. <laughs> okay, so, that, so our, our outgoing chair is going to volunteer to, I mean, I, I think you, you, you communicate in writing and then it becomes mm -hmm. a part of the record. Mm -hmm. You know, what you say to somebody that, you know, uh, but you, written communication mm -hmm. is part of the record. We go on record early on in the process that this stinks or whatever you want to, I think you won't put it quite like that. How about I write you edit? I, no problem with that. Done. I have a question. Is it too early on to get a new consultant? That's a fascinating question. I mean, could, could you, you say it louder for the people in the back? Thank you. Is it too early on to get new consultants? I don't know the answer to that question, but I think it's an excellent question to ask. I don't know what the terms were. I don't know how the and funds have been dispersed. Can I follow up with that? Because I'm new, so I'm not sure. I wasn't here when the process started. Um, as far as to get to where you are now. Um, but it seems like if that is something that can be on the table, um, that the commissioner is, that people are on this commissioner board be involved in the process of choosing the consultant people so that you have a better uh, gauge of the people that you're dealing with. 
uh, if that's a possibility. Councilmember Ramlawi. Uh, thank you. Um, a lot of good points being raised here tonight. Um, unfortunately, um, some of the um, criticisms of this process are, are criticisms we've heard before, where on the onset of anything, this commission is supposed to be a part of the process. And then as we get midway point, we realize there's not been a whole lot of engagement in communication with this with this body, um, we've seen it from the very from the very beginning um, with the police chief, uh, the last police chief hiring, and it's continued for years. Um, I think it would be probably too late to to start the process or get a different consultant. I mean, contracts are signed and. It's going to be hard to get out of that. Um, you may have to start over, or, and then, but that uh, will come with delayed action, um, and it has to come from council uh, approval. Um, there's a lot of changes going on, not just with this commission, but council itself, and it's going to be a while before um, uh, there's there's uh, the kind of gel and momentum on this issue with that, but I think there's everyone's unanimous on on what they want to see in the end. But um, it's this this uh, uh, report on this consultant and the um, lack of depth uh, that's being explored is concerning, um, but unfortunately. It's not the first time. I think um, there's been a, a, um, a tendency to kind of put a uh, distance between these kind of activities and uh, the city administrator and kind of, I don't know, walking away or stepping aside from direct involvement, which um, leads to this alienation that we're seeing. Um, I think this body should speak with resolutions. I think it's more effective when you speak with resolutions. Um, as the commissioner has pointed out in writing, I think it's important. I think um, the city administrator is the one who's in charge of this. And um, city council is in charge of the city administrator. However, it wants to speak to this issue. I, I think it's important to do so in, in writing in resolution, so it has effectiveness. Um, otherwise, I think it's easy just to point fingers and for people to think something's actually going to be done differently. Um, so um, I'm just expressing disappointment, um, but there's a lot of um, elected officials who don't scrutinize the spending that I hear being discussed here, like what you should get for this kind of money. Um, quite frankly, um, I don't think that's a, a big concern for many who, who are making these decisions currently. Thank you. Thank you. I was just thinking, maybe we should make it super clear why this survey matters, why this work matters, why you need more than a survey, why you need, because what, what can potentially happen is 
you, you get information back from an online survey that includes the views of people who are not so likely to, to use this service. And we never find out the needs of people who are actually most likely to use it. And so you end up with some mandate to develop a service that in the end is not going to serve people very well. And that is hugely problematic. That is hugely problematic. So I, I have a question, I suppose, from Councilman Ramlawi. Are you, are, you, are you suggesting that whatever we send in writing should be in the form of a resolution from the commission in order to have any desired effect? Well, I think it's more effective if it isn't a resolution. That's just been my experience. Um, as you said, it's, it's documented, it's recorded, it's expressed the body's wishes, and I think it's more powerful. You know, I, I don't think everything should be done through resolutions, but if you feel that this is, reaches that level, then please, you know, please do so. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think there are some things that can be communicated without resolutions that have effectiveness, but the gravity and the consequences of this program, the money that's being spent, and the, the trajectory that this will go in with a flawed um, process is just going to doom the entire program. Mm -hmm. I think there are communities across Southeast Michigan who are waiting to see what Ann Arbor does who are waiting to see how this program works, whether it's successful or not. And I think it's incumbent on us to design the best program we can and not to make the same mistake that we have made in the past in terms of um, designing programs without the people in them. We do not need to design programs for people. We need to design this program in particular with people. Mm -hmm. And that is a distinct difference. You know, it's interesting, um, we, we just came, some of us just came back from the NACOL conference, and one of the things that was, um, and I wish I had brought it, but I didn't, but it, it was used in South Africa, uh, it, it, was, it goes something like, anything you do for me without me is worthless. So you, you, that, you, know, you have to include the people that are going to be affected. So I think, um, I'm, I, would you entertain a, a motion? I would entertain a motion. So I, I move that the commission designate um, Commissioner Jackson to, to prepare, um, along with myself, um, a resolution to council expressing, um, number one, for our belief in the importance of what's going on and um, our concerns about what is going on. And I would think that if we can, I think it, it shouldn't, since this is an ongoing process, this shouldn't wait till the next meeting. Mm -hmm. So perhaps we can um, get it out to the commissioners by email. It, um, certainly I think Commissioner Jackson and I can work in the next few days. And if it's approved, then we can go ahead and, and forward it. So that's my motion. Second. Any other discussion? I'll just make sure that if we are going to make a resolution about this, uh, does this mean that this is resolution binding and we don't have to have 
a, an emergency meeting of the commission to approve because we already had the resolution. Uh, and all of what we are doing is are waiting for the draft that is coming from both the, the uh, outgoing chair and the incoming vice chair. And uh, if that addresses the concerns of the commission, already we have a resolution and that can be passed to uh, whether administrator or to the city council. So the resolution, so your motion might be amended to say that. Correct. Uh, we are now voting to send a resolution to council regarding this issue as long as the draft that is circulated to the commissioners receives its edits from the commission and is approved by the commission, then right now we are voting to send that. Correct. We are approving that, that, that resolution. All right. Mm -hmm. That's you moved, you seconded, Francis seconded. Any other discussion? Thank you. Um, just, just parliamentary speaking, um, and I don't proclaim to be an expert <laughs> on Robert's rules. Um, is that, quite frankly, we have you know uh, a meeting on October third. There could be, and it doesn't. Maybe it's not a resolution that you need to pass because of the conditions that you're discussing in the time frame, but a communication to council. It can be included in our agenda, a letter, uh, which is a communication that goes to, that gets added to our agenda, rather than a formal resolution. Again, I'm not sure what's procedurally uh, acceptable, but I would feel that the body would have to look at the resolution verbatim for it to be binding to the to the level of effectiveness that we we see on council at least. Um, and, and uh, you know, I just think uh, either way, but you might want to check with Christopher Frost or, you know, someone from the city attorney's office to see if it's what, what's, what's, what's acceptable, but perhaps a simple communication that gets added to the agenda. Thank you. Thank you. I think we actually can vote now um, that a resolution drafted in the future, should it be circulated among and meet the approval of the commission, be approved to be sent. I Commissioner. have saying it's um, nothing about us without us is for us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Take a picture of it. <laughs> So we can do two things. We can do three things. We can create a draft resolution and circulate that pending approval of this body. We can also construct in the interim a communication to council that we can circulate to this body for anyone's edits, approvals, additions. Um, that can be sent such that it can be attached to the agenda for their meeting. At that October 3rd meeting, we can address this in the ICPOC introduction to council. And this time we're going to do that together. So I'm going to hand off to the new chair who will then take it away. And so we can do that in three ways. 
Chair Jackson. Yes, sir. Uh, I love the idea of doing the letter and then the personal appearance on the third as being the choices that we should make and hold the, the, a formal resolution to a later date if we deem that that's necessary at that point in time. So we could come back with a draft ready for this at our October exactly. meeting, but in the interim do a communication, which would be shared among the entire commission anyway for input. Correct. Do we have to have a resolution for the communication or not? Because if not, uh, we can appoint the uh, outgoing chair and vice chair, a new vice chair to draft this communication and send it to the council to be included in their uh, agenda for October. I think we do not. We have done communications to them before in writing that have been attached to their um, council meeting packet. So I do not believe we have to have a formal resolution to do so. So what we are agreeing to do now, if I'm not mistaken, is we are going to uh, draft a communication that we will circulate among everyone very soon in the next couple of days for you all's input, that we will get that to council so it can be included in their packet. It will be addressed at the council meeting and on at the beginning of October um, as well. We can then bring a draft resolution here and consider that at the end of October if that is still necessary, in which case maybe we'll have additional information such that it will need to be amended even by then. Does that work for everyone? Commissioner Carter. It, it works fine. It, um, I don't know if I should procedurally withdraw my motion. You could. Um, and then I and then there still should be some kind of authorization for approval of the letter to go to council from the commission. When does, when does it, if the, the meeting is on the third? I know. Is it three or six? It's third. 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 So, so when, do, when, does, when does anything have to be in in order to get on the agenda? Does anyone know that? Friday. Yeah. The Friday oh. before the meeting? This so this week. Friday? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, we can do that. <laughs> yes, we can. We can do this tomorrow. Okay. So, um, so, so everyone look out for an email tomorrow because we'll send you a draft right, right. of the communique and then you can edit, add, subtract, and send it back by Thursday. Right. Please and thank you. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to withdraw my motion if that's all right with those who seconded it. No, that, that makes sense. I believe we are all squared with Robert and the rules. <laughs> but do we need, still need an authorization to send a communication from mm -mm. the commission? Yeah, we'll all right, very good. Thank you. Um, any other conversation about this unarmed response survey process? I, I have a question. Just, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It's all right. Um, Head turned wrong way. I think this is this is wise. I think it's comprehensive. I think if if the communication and the presentation on the third fall on deaf ears and not much is done, and there's still this level of concern about the direction, is that um, council members of this commission can introduce in the November um, meeting uh, a resolution. Um, that this commission helps to draft and we can add a resolution 
um, on the council agenda directing the city administrator um, to do or take an alternative course of action. So to, because time is of the essence, and um, I would just prepare to have that ready to go for the November, first meeting in November, um, so then council can vote on that if there needs to be a change in, in the course of, of um, the process. So we can do that by our October meeting, which is at the end of the month, which should prep for a meeting of council in the beginning of November. All right, so communications are next, but I thought it might be helpful if Commissioners Carter or Harrison wanted to talk at all about our NACOL conference. I do. Take it away. I thank you. Um, yeah, you know, and I just got back in town yesterday. Normally, if I go to a conference, I like to have something in writing to report back um, because you send us there, not just for us, <laughs> but to, to share what we, what we learned. And uh, it was a very good conversation. I learned a lot. But I, I want to, I, I would like this commission to think about something that's been bothering me. You know, I asked um, Chief Cox during one of our meetings whether there were any members of these terrorist organizations, like the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters and those people. Um, whose leaders are now being prosecuted for their actions against the government. If we had any of those individuals in, if there's any way to tell if we had any of those individuals in our police department, and I was, I was told that there were none. And I, I, I accept that. However, I think that, um, you know, and I talked to people at the conference, um, and there was a, a session on uh, dealing with um, white supremacy. White supremacy. I think it was called white supremacy, something like that. But um, rooting out white supremacists in your law enforcement organization. There you go. And extremism in law enforcement. And extremism. And so I talked to one of the attorneys there. The issue is. You know, these, these groups communicate um, through online chats and posts and this kind of thing. And if it comes to light that a member of the, the, our organization is involved in these organizations, then what do we do? How can we deal with that and still protect their First Amendment rights? Um, and I think that a policy can be drafted. Uh, we have to look at, um, really, what is their oath? What do they say they're going to do when they are hired uh, as officers for Ann Arbor? And this is something, this kind of thing is going on across the country. And that's one thing we learn when we go to these national uh, conferences, that what's going on across the country um, there have been officers in other departments. It's been found out that they're, they're involved in these online um, 
chats and various things with these organizations, and some departments have tried you know, to do things about it, but it's a matter of what is the policy? Because um, in, in one um, instance, an officer was fired and he sued and, and, and won. Um, we heard of uh, a, a department where the, oh, I think it was like the chief or some high office had a Nazi flag, you know, in his office, posted in his office and was fired. And he, he sued on basis of his First Amendment right, you know, to be a Nazi, I guess. So the issue boils down to whether a policy can be drafted which says basically if you are involved in, and I haven't drafted it yet, that's why I'm, uh, but, but I'm going to work on it. Uh, if anybody wants to work on it with me, I'd be happy. But um, that says that certain things are detrimental to the department and spell out some of those things. You can't be too specific, but you can't be too general. Mm -hmm, go ahead. I, I remember being in a NACOLS, it was an online session, and one of the speakers um, was former chief um, Art Acevedo. Um, and he was in Texas and then Florida and now he's retired. But he said something that stuck with me. He said, you can be a racist in the United States. You know, you, you have the ability to do that. But you can't be a cop in my department. And, you know, that was the, the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Because you can't do your job right. if you are a racist. And so I, I, I would hope that we can figure out how to make that yeah. a policy. That, that's the so issue. So I think that's, yeah. that's what it boils down to. We were all in that session, and we were all, you know, uh, uh, it, was, it was quite an informational session. There, there were so many. I was taking pictures and texting uh, the vice chair who wasn't there. I was like, can you believe this? Because they were showing lockers and lots of evidence of folks who were participating in many different kinds of groups. In fact, there's a there's a Latino white supremacist group <laughs> called the Banditos who are in California and um, they were showing you know some of the things that they had on their lockers and what it boils down to is the way that you can work with that is if there is a policy in the department and so that has to be something that's important to Ann Arbor there has to be something that the city says this is what we want of our police department that we do not want people who belong to these particular groups because their beliefs and behaviors are at odds with what we consider to be conduct that is appropriate for our police. And so um, when those policies are in place, then they can be enforced and they do have to be specific enough and yet broad enough so they're not infringing on um, people's you know, First Amendment rights to express themselves. But um, there have been some departments who have had those successful policies written. And so I think um, that's an important thing. Every time we go to this, these conferences, especially when we go in person, and we haven't been able to go in person for a couple of years, you come back with so much knowledge and you're hanging out with 400 other oversight people, which is quite a unique experience in Ann Arbor because it's just us. And then you go there and there are people. So when we first went in Detroit, we met people who were there 
because Ferguson was just beginning to get oversight because Michael Brown was killed. We met people from Baltimore who were just getting up and running after Freddie Gray was killed. And so we were like, oh, my gosh, you know, we are part of this 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 big group of people. And now we see those um, agencies up and running. And Chicago has gone through so many iterations of, of police oversight. Obviously, they are still killing people in Chicago at astounding rates. And so they're continuing to work on the process and how they can get better. But in the meantime, they have developed an extensive training program um, for oversight professionals. Um, some of the tools would be applicable for us. Others might not be so much. But um, they've expressed a willingness for us to go take a field trip. Um, they will be doing some online trainings. Um, they are funded, they get 1% of the police budget. Mm -hmm. And so their funding is dictated by how much the police get. And their police department is about $17 billion, I believe, wow. is the budget. Um, and so they have a large number of investigators and they um, have trained interviewers and they have um, people dedicated to do communications with community groups and faith groups and legislators, et cetera. And so they have a huge operation there, but some of what they do is some of what we could do better. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so every time we go, you just come back and, um, and, and certainly we can all talk, we can, you know, we should write up some things and we should make sure that this information gets shared because um, it is, as you say, we're not going so we can get better. We're going so this commission can get better. Mm -hmm. And so it's critical that we continue to participate in this and that everybody gets a chance to go, whether that's online or in person. You do learn so much and you learn the subtleties of how you can work with issues like that. Um, and 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 how to do outreach in communities, for example. So some of the things that I'm thinking about with this survey are things that I think everybody should know, but clearly everyone does not know those things. And so, um, Commissioner Harrison, did you want to say anything about the? I mean, I you know it was my first time. Obviously, um, I'm really honestly still trying to process a lot of um, what I learned. It was it was pretty um, overwhelming, very eye opening, um, very educational. I'm glad I had the opportunity to go, given the changes that are coming up soon. So, um, yeah, it was, I was just, you know, like you said, you were the first one you went to. That's how I was. I was blown away. I was like, wow, there's, first of all, I'm in a room with all of these folks that care about, you know, so deeply about what I care about. And, you know, from across the country and in other countries. Um, yeah, it, it was it was just I was I was overwhelmed. There are people from South America, yeah. Central America, Sierra Leone, um, so another place from the African continent. There are people from from Eastern Europe who wow. there's a large contingent. I don't remember from where they came, um, but I you know I think suggest everybody goes twice. The first time you go, you feel like you're drinking from the fire hose. Yep. it's just very overwhelming. There's a lot of information. You're in disbelief. <laughs> The second time you go, you've begun to practice some of the things and you realize, oh, okay. And now you can take in the information in a completely different way because you are, are have been able to put some of those things into practice. And so one of the things I said was, I was just kind of showing off to everyone. I was like, look, we have a commissioner here, but she got elected to city council. So now we're going to have a city council person who knows all this stuff. And, um, and people were like, oh, my God, if we could get our city council to come. Now, I will say there are plenty of law enforcement people at this conference because there are people in law enforcement who are also working for these things. We met city attorneys 
who are, are working on this. And so they were there. Um, we met um, some legislators, a, 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 a U.S. Uh, House representative, several local state representatives were there. We met people who paid their own way there because their children had been killed by police. And they were in every single session and they were asking brilliant questions all the time. We met community activists. We met other oversight professionals. And so the wide group of people that, that come and participate in this, um, you know, very educational, um, you know, presentations, but then the back and forth of ideas that happens and how could you do this, how could you do that? Um, people were very interested, for example, in the fact that in Ann Arbor, we have started to look at the police union contract as a way to think about a way to have influence. And across the country, we were approached by people from New York, people from California. Um, I met a labor attorney, a city attorney from California who were both like, we need to do a panel. We need to talk about that. Um, and so even things that we're doing here are innovative and can be, you know, other people can learn from, even though we learn so much from everyone else when we go. Um, but I think it's, it's just critical to participate in that kind of training, um, in part because this is very challenging work to do. It, you feel like you're swimming upstream all the time. Sometimes you're looking at body cam footage. We have talked about whether that is distressing or not. Um, <laughs> it is to some of us, others of us, not so much. But it's, it's definitely challenging work nonetheless. Uh, certainly just, you know, kind of trying to make sure that the things that we know should get done should get done. For example, we're still working on police complaints where we expected to be seeing complaints names and, and they are not present yet. We had information about prior discipline that is now being redacted for some reason that that should not be. And so we have to keep fighting these same fights all over again, which is exhausting. I think that as of today, we are seeing the names of the complainants. That Hallelujah. Confirm that today. <laughs> and um, I believe we're, we're still working on getting into that swing of um, not redacting the past discipline. But not reinventing the wheel. And we got to keep going. Yeah. The vice chair spent one year working out a detailed process in writing about what needs to be included with every single complaint. It was worked on with the city attorney's office and the police chiefs and deputy chiefs and professional standards. And so, you know, there's been a lot of turnover at police, obviously, and we're really happy about some of the things that they have coming out. Um, but it is tough when you have to start over, you know, every time there's, there's, there's personnel changes, you have to start over again. And so that's challenging. And that's part of what makes this exhausting. You know, and at first we said, well, we're new. No one's used to us, but we're not new anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit more frustrating to kind of reinvent the wheel, you know, every six months. Uh, thank you, um, and thanks for that report. Um, I'm just wondering if, and perhaps this is known already, whether there's policies and procedures within the department right now that would violate um, their working contract uh, with the city um, if they are members of these um, hate groups. Um, you know, I think it's uh, obviously uh, better for us to have these in place so when they do arise you can enforce them otherwise you got some uh, employment uh, issues even though you're on the right side of the moral compass um, you, you end up fighting with these unions and the CBA and everything and you can't do uh, 
what you want to do and because these things aren't in place to begin with. So I think working on making sure they're in place so that when you do need to act, you're in a legal position to do so. You know, I, um, when you mention contracts, I, I mentioned to someone in the department about the contracts. I know the con is it coming up? I don't know what the status they, is. They are actually in negotiations now. Um, so that I don't believe we get to see it yeah. until it gets drafted, though. Well, you know, I, I always, th I learned that a contract is an agreement between two parties. Everybody gets something out of it. When you look at most, many labor union contracts, the only th party that gets anything out of it is the union. Police unions. Hmm? Police unions, not teachers unions. No, no, I'm saying, in, it, yeah, the, it's, the, it's the union, whatever union. I would like to see at some point something in the contract that says the citizens of Ann Arbor get honest, um, courteous policing and, and, and spell it out so that it, it's a violation of the contract if someone is not courteous. I mean, I think, you know, when we look at these um, complaints over and over and over again, he was, he, the way he spoke to me. And why can't we say we want our police officer to be courteous and put it in the contract? So anyway, I know it's not going to be in this contract, but I think it's something that we ought to look at. When we get that in there, can I get that on the solid waste staff also? Please. <laughs> Council Member Song. So we, we've struggled with these issues internally here at the city. I think we're all aware of that. Um, back in June of 2021, I had asked our HR attorney for some insight into our own HR policies when it comes to standards of conduct and non-discrimination. And she gave examples of how uh, the city has handled employees who've used racial or anti-LGBTQ slurs. And these are the following examples. Um, when an employee used an anti-LGBTQ slur, they made, um, or if they've made inappropriate comments about sexual orientation, race, and ethnicity, there's a proposed termination that resulted in a separation agreement. An employee made an inappropriate comment about another employee's religion. They were suspended for a week. An employee used the N-word and engaged in other unrelated misconduct, they were terminated. An employee made derogatory comments about certain race and ethnicities and engaged in other unrelated misconduct, two suspensions and mandatory counseling through the employee assistance program. So um, I think we have good staff in having Margie Radabaugh, who came from DC in a much larger institution, with a lot of experience in this. Um, and that's maybe something that we can reflect on and. Um, uh, refer to if we start exploring this with, with our police, because that's, those are the, that's references, this HRPP 2.1 standards of conduct and HRPP 2.2 on non-discrimination. So we've, we've got a roadmap, we just. Right, so the, so the difference is we have to make sure that that is, you know, that that works within the CBA. And so we have employees who've been terminated and who've been suspended, um, but not within the police force. And so, um, and I think 
you know, discourtesy is the number one complaint across the United States of America. Right. Discourtesy is not nothing, though. Discourtesy changes the, the, the climate between police and communities in which they work. That's right. Discourtesy changes cooperation that police expect. Um, and so it is not nothing. It, and, and it is a significant problem. And so it is something on which we can work. There is a policy already in place about that. Yeah. What we're talking about is accountability and an enforcement of that. Yeah. I, that's I, what we're talking about. Yeah, I think true. that it's, it, it's important for us to distinguish between the uh, slurs and just being very disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that um, is a lot in the complaints that we see and um, in other people's experiences that it, it's not necessarily slurs or names, but it, it's just a total disregard for um, treating people in a proper manner. So we'll come back to this body with some formal comments about the, um, and some summaries of the sessions that we attended. There are online sessions that are ongoing throughout the year though, so I encourage everybody to take advantage of those from NACL. We all do have an obligation to continue our training throughout the year and to uh, accumulate hours. This time we used barcodes to indicate our presence, and so we we're all racking up uh, continuing education hours, but that can be done online as well. And so it's very important to get educated about how oversight works, um, how your local police department works, and um, so that's an expectation that we all participate in that. Are, th are there any other communications? Madam Chair. I would like to acknowledge um, Commissioner Pipkin, sorry I overlooked your name, and Commissioner Billups is present now. I wanted to acknowledge the presence of Commissioner Pipkin, sorry I overlooked your name, and Commissioner Billups is in our roll call as well. Oh, okay, thank you. Any other communications, Councilmember Romano? Yeah, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I won't be here for long, so um, I use it. Um, the, the example set forth by my colleague about the HR policies is true. The fact is, though, those protect employee from employee, and in this case, we don't have that relationship um, that's being described by the lack of courtesy. You have a civilian versus a paramilitary force. Um, and that's a difference uh, that needs to be understood. Uh, folks don't have the protections that city employees do um, that are given to them. So um, it's great that those exist, but unfortunately they don't expand into uh, the civilian population. So, um, so I think it's a big distinction. You know what I think, it may be interesting to, 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 for us to ponder this as a body and for council to think about this too. One of the fascinating things is when we start to look at complaints that police make about each other. Those complaints are sustained at a different rate than when citizens make complaints about police. And so there is to some degree a baseline level of trust that police officers are given when they accuse each other of things, which we don't necessarily see translated when citizens accuse police sometimes of those very same things. 
So I have been privy to complaints where a citizen, a person, a person in Ann Arbor, citizen or not citizen, has made a complaint about a police officer that was not sustained, where an officer has made the exact same complaint against that same officer and that was upheld. Their complaint was agreed with. And that is very troubling for me. And, and, and I think that's something that we have to think about. And so we do worry about employees having interactions with each other, whether they are city staff or whether they are police staff, employees of the city as well, and the difference between that and civilians. And so and, and people who live, work, and, and, and visit Ann Arbor. Um, and I think that's something that we have to delve into a little bit more deeply because that is indicative of a pattern of the way in which people are believed. And, and so that's not something that we need to passively sort of look at. That's something that we need to really figure out how to combat because we see that already. Uh, I, I agree um, wholeheartedly. I just wanted to add one other thing. Someone that I spoke with, um, or one of the presenters at, at NACO, just for us to think about, something that they had initiated was soliciting not just complaints from citizens, but also if there were good uh, interactions with the police. They encouraged the uh, citizens to also report those and periodically they would give some kind of award publicly to officers who had a number of good reports and of good interactions uh, with citizens. And I, I, I think maybe if we just sort of ponder that, if that's something that we even want to consider, but it sounded like a real good idea to me. All right, if there are no further communications, is there a motion to adjourn? Just uh, prior to the adjournment, I would like to say a couple of words. One is I would like to thank two people over here on this commission for this long service. Um, the council member, Mr. Ramlawi, for his uh, really uh, serving in this community uh, since the inception, since the beginning, uh, for his uh, genuine and honest discussions ideas, even at times when it, they were looked at as a little bit different, but you know, we, we build consensus based on different interpretations of ideas. And uh, I w wish him the best in, in uh, his life and what he is doing. It was really a really pleasure uh, serving with you. And uh, the other person is the outgoing chair, uh, Ms. Jackson for her, she brought in her energy and passion to uh, leading this uh, commission for the past three years or so. Uh, wish her the best and also would like her to continue uh, with this passion and support and energy um, to uh, proceed uh, and, and to make progress um, with this commission serving the community and the citizens of Ann Arbor. Thank you both for your service. Here, here.
Thank you. It has been an honor. Absolutely. And a, and a pleasure and a privilege to work with all of you. And you're still on the commission. Right. <laughs> yes. I'll just be sliding over a chair right. or so. Um, but thank you very much. It has been, um, I, I, I have learned a lot. I'm still learning. And, um, and I appreciate the opportunity to have done anything at all. All right. So now is there a motion to adjourn? <laughs> I make a motion to adjourn over. Is there a uh, second? Meeting. Second. All in favor? Uh, Aye. 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 We are adjourned. <laughs>